Hey there, Habs fans, Habs maniacs, Habs lunatics out there in Habs land. Welcome to the latest episode of What the Fuck is Wrong with the Habs? A podcast series that will hopefully try to examine, illuminate, and potentially identify some of the key reasons why the Montreal Canadiens, the most storied franchise in the history of hockey, have been a dumpster fire of an organization for the past 26 years. So sit back, relax, do the thing that you do to make the thing that you do go better, and I'll be back in a few seconds with What the Fuck is Wrong with the Habs? Bergevin has done it again. Just when everybody thought that uh, the press conference that he gave after the trade deadline was one of the worst things that they've ever seen in the city from a general manager, one of the most confusing, one of the most almost insulting to most people's intelligence kind of uh, narrative that he was feeding everybody all over the place, bouncing from one corner to another corner, from one nonsensical point to another nonsensical starting point. Just when we thought that was bad enough, well, he's done it again. A week later, probably he felt the pressure from uh, the insiders in Montreal, especially within the Bell Center, you know, the the PR people. They were letting him know, hey, dude, uh, that little thing there didn't go over very well. Yeah, yeah. Some people are saying that maybe you were a little bit tired and that's why it didn't come off, you know, it didn't come off that well. But a lot of people are saying that, ooh, you got to clear things up a little bit because you don't, you don't look very, very good right now for nobody, even the diehards and even the, the propagandists out there. So you better start, uh, you know, revising your, uh, your story. So about a week later, Mark Bergevin decided to, uh, to do a, sit-down interview with um, with uh, Mathias Brunet of uh, La Presse. La Presse is not the biggest uh, French newspaper in Montreal, but it's the second biggest and it's pretty big. And it really doesn't matter in these circles when it comes to hockey, whatever it is, it's going to be spread. It's going to be shared. In this interview, a lot of things were revealed. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, PR decisions were exposed what exactly they were so all those people for the last two years who were saying that no 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 dude the Habs didn't trade Sergeyev for Juan just because Juan's French that's ridiculous you, you sound almost racist for saying that well in this interview Mark Bergevin pretty much said yeah yeah we traded uh, for Juan because because uh, he was French but uh, how he explained the French thing was another confusing element to the whole Mark Bergevin might be a little bit incompetent uh, story that we have playing out in Montreal. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Seriously, I don't even know where to start. I don't know which part of that interview to pick and to start with. Do I start with the last part of the of the interview where he literally said, no matter what's happened, I would have done the exact same things again. Do we start with that point? Or do we start with 
the the Suzuki point where he still thinks that Mochokan is uh, drafted Suzuki. Yeah, they didn't draft Suzuki. They didn't develop Suzuki. He came ready. He got lucky that he got thrown in that trade because uh, Mark Bergevin, for those people who are not aware, he wanted Cody Glass from the Vegas. He, he didn't want uh, Suzuki. He probably saw him. Probably, okay, he's a little small. I don't know. But he took him because, you know, he got to get rid of Pacioretty. Yeah, he's got to go. He was the, the latest cancer in the room, so he had to leave. So where do we begin with uh, this interview? Uh, big props to uh, HockeyBuzz.com, to Kareen Haynes for uh, for writing an article where she pretty much transcribed, uh, translated edition of the, the interview in English for most people if they want to read it. If you go to HockeyBuzz.com, uh, you'll find it there. The title is Matthias Brunet's interview with Mark Bergevin. So, in the interview, a whole bunch of different stuff were discussed. A whole bunch of different points were brought up. Some interesting in terms of uh, where the Canadians might be heading uh, hockey management-wise, uh, asset-wise, player-wise in the future, in the next couple of years. Some kind of really scary things were kind of brought up where you're kind of scratching your head saying, Ooh, what the hell is this guy talking about? Um, so let me try to go through it point by point in terms of Suzuki uh, Mark Bergevin obviously said the, the positive things you know he's been one of the few positives in the city in this team this year next Suzuki what he will look like next year there's no reason to to believe for a second that he'll take a step backwards not for a second because unlike Kokaniemi Nick Suzuki is solid on his skates doesn't get knocked off. He, when he goes to the corner, he's not scared to be bumped off. He's a really, really center of gravity kind of kid on his skate. So there's no issue with there what's happening whatsoever. Who he plays with, that's a different question. Uh, how does he progress from this year to next year? That's a different question. It's all going to depend on the team. So that was Suzuki part. The Kokaniemi part, the, the negative youth development part of the, this year for Montreal Canadiens, the positive part, Suzuki. The negative part was the Kokaniemi situation. You know, when you draft a kid third overall, and uh, as a rookie, he kind of shines, has uh, tails off toward the second part of the season, and then starts the next year not looking very good, not being used that much, and before you know it, he's a healthy scratch, and then he's sent to Laval. And in Laval, he's got 11 points in 11 games, He's missed, I think, the last three games because he's sick. He has a cold, a virus, something. Hopefully, it's not too too serious, if you know what I mean. And um, he's put up 11 points in 11 games, but he has no goals. And when I checked the stats, he had he was averaging a little bit more than I think 1.4, 1.5 shots shots a game. And yes, he's a he's a playmaking center. But when when you have a 19 year old kind of stud that you have within your system. When he's in the AHL, you're kind of hoping that he creates off opportunities for himself as well. You're kind of hoping that he's got that ability, you know. And he's got a good shot. There's no reason why you shouldn't be getting more shots off. So some part of his game is still not right. And hopefully within within the the remaining calendar that, that exists for Laval, he'll figure things out. He'll, he'll get back. Hopefully Laval will make the playoffs. There was news a couple days ago that... Uh, I think the Elonen kid, I don't want to confuse the Elonen with Ikonen, so I think that Elonen kid is, is going to be uh, playing with Laval this week, which is pretty cool, good news, but 
even him i was checking his uh, his stats and nothing nothing super great and he's like 170 pounds so it's like okay let's see how he takes this step forward you know when he's playing with men so that was part of the kokaniemi thing kokaniemi bergevin kind of insinuated a little bit he he didn't come out fully and say it, but he kind of had this little maybe kk doesn't work doesn't work that hard or as hard as he he needs to work on the parts of the game that he has to improve upon now within the last couple of days in montreal obviously because kokaniemi is only 19 years old and obviously a family member is close by in this in this instance it's his dad and that connection is being made now between Kokaniemi and Galchenyuk and Galchenyuk's dad and the negative influence that he may have played within Galchenyuk's lack of development and potentially Kokaniemi's dad and the potential negative impact that he might be having on the kid right now in terms of his own work ethic and that he might have moving forwards in terms of a of a disconnect happening between the kid and the organization. So we got that crap happening again. Uh, that was the KK situation. And Bergevin went on to talk about Cole, uh, Cole Caulfield, who I like to call Cole Caulfield, and he kind of raised a few of the same flags that most people were raising when it came to Caulfield. You know? When you watch him play, there's no doubt about it none whatsoever especially on the power play when you see him the kid knows exactly what he's doing positioning shot pass he's got he's got the whole the whole thing happening but he's five foot six he's small you know and uh like i was saying and a whole bunch of other people were saying you can't take a small kid and put him on an already really small team and expect that kid to develop in the nhl now I think Bergevin, as most of us have seen, the vast majority of decisions are just desperation moves. He tried to do something, didn't work out, he's got nothing left to do, so I'll do this. It was kind of, and the thing, I think, I think the same thing is going to happen with Caulfield. The Canadians are not going to be a bigger team in the next couple of years. There's no magic pill they're going to take and everybody's going to grow. That doesn't happen. They're not drafting big kids, so that's not going to help. And when when it eventually comes to that day Caulfield will probably be on a team that's small he'll probably be with Suzuki who plays bigger than he is but he is kind of small so he could he could get boxed out and things like that he's not going to help you in front of the net he's not going to do all those things so uh, when it came to Caulfield Bergevin had uh, the following to say I'm going to I'm going to read I'm just going to read uh, Karine Harris's uh, translation word for word as for Cole Caulfield, the Canadians will like him to remain with Wisconsin Badgers next season. He's having a great season in NCA, and just to add to the great season part, he just won the championship, scoring championship as, as a rookie, as a freshman. So that's pretty good. So he's having a great season in NCAA, but in their eyes, he's not ready to make the jump yet. Of course, they cannot force him to, but that will be their recommendation. That is not to say it's a disappointment. They just want to develop him properly. Ooh, the word development is uh, starting to creep up all of a sudden with all those all those failed draft picks along the years, all those late first rounders that are not playing in the NHL. And if they are playing in the NHL, they're playing for another team in the NHL. And if they are playing for another team in the NHL, they're not really being dominant with that team. So it's like a whole bunch of nothing. So he, he went on to say that they would like to potentially, when he does get ready to, 
play, they might send him to Laval first. And the whole size thing came up again, you know. Bridgman says that he plays very well with the puck and can score, but a player doesn't always have the puck and he'll need to work on that. So according to Bridgman, uh, Coffee has to work on getting bigger. Good luck with that, uh, Cole. And then we go on to uh, Ryan Paling and his failed expectations. That word expectations, uh, I noticed that from the first press conference that Mark Bergevin gave as a general manager. He, the one, I think, I'm not sure if it was the first, first one or after the first one. Press conference after the first one, the original one. The lowering of expectation. That's become, that should be uh, Mark Bergevin's, uh, you know, byline when it comes to his reign as a Montreal Canadiens general manager. The lowering of expectations. Oof, they've gotten so low. Now we're getting to the point of he's coming out and he's telling people we have to lower our expectations when it comes to the kids that we pick with our top 10, top 15, top 3, top, you know, those kind of picks. Just lower your expectations when it comes to everything. The draft picks, the potential of the draft picks, the team on the ice, potential team on the ice, and everything else. Just lower your expectations, people, okay? Four out of five years is not that bad. It's not the end of the world. Okay, we still have time. Now, after Ryan Paling, he talks about Ryan Paling, Paling in the same way most people talk about him. That, you know, when he came up that game and he scored the four goals, you know, three in regulation time and the, the shootout winner. Was it a shootout? Well, yeah, the shootout winner. That, you know, people were expecting him. Nobody was expecting Ryan Paling to score three goals a game. Nobody said that. Who, who said that? Who, who was it? But you know what people were expecting? That he at least get a chance to play on the fourth line this year. You know, not well, if he's good enough, he might because, you know, Cousins and Thompson's are a little bit better. It's like, it's all that nonsense that they don't admit to themselves, you know, that, yeah, you have these kids who are struggling to develop and a lot of them might take a little bit longer than other ones to develop, but you have to put him in a place to be able to succeed. You can't put them in a competition with a with a with a Thompson and in a, a Paling and with a Thompson and in a Wheel and a and a Weiss and a Cousins. You once you create that, you're taking your young players and you're kind of forcing them automatically within the first year to be really good fourth line grinders. Guys, you can't be fourth line grinders at 19, 20 years old. What the hell is wrong with you? Well, we gotta use Cousins. We gotta use Thompson. We got to use Weiss. We got to use Flynn. We got to use, you know, I could go on forever. Chapu. We got to use Agustin. We got to, it just goes on and on like this. And as they're doing this, as, as, they're, as they're caught within this kind of fallacy of their own development that doesn't develop anything, they're not going anywhere as a team. They just keep getting worse and worse. It's not like, it's not like this strategy is, is benefiting them. It's not. So there's there's no data that comes back to feed this, but they keep pushing the same thing. So that was the ro- the, the paling thing. And I'll be honest with you, paling doesn't look even doesn't even look that good in Laval. He's not dominant in Laval. He's not. So it's gonna take him some time to feel conf- confident in the AHL. You know, which to me is completely stupid. They should have just given him the same time to feel confident in the NHL. But anyways, uh, that's Ryan Paling. So we'll move on to Paling, and we'll get, talk to about, about our, our our superstar prospect, the kid of the kids. Everybody's waiting for this guy. He's going to turn everything around. It's all going to be sunshine. Alexander Romanov. 
honestly, I can't wait till he comes here too. But the only thing Bergevin uh, kind of admitted in this interview with uh, with Bune is that he doesn't know if he's coming. The kid hasn't confirmed anything, which is pretty much what I was saying few podcasts ago when I was talking about the whole young prospects thing that the Canadians had. That, that the, the, the story coming out of Russia, you don't have to focus on the story coming out of Montreal. You don't have to focus on the story coming out of Lavoie's mouth or Lavoie's Twitter feed. You could focus on the story coming out of Russia, you know, with his agent and people that play with him and people that watch him and people that support him and people that share information about him on Twitter. You can focus on those people. And they were saying, nobody knows what his decision is, but the chances are that he's not coming next year. Chances are he's going to hold off for one more year. So, we're talking literally the same hockey team next year, folks. Okay, that's the, that's the caveat to this whole interview thing, but okay, just get, prepare yourselves for that. So, Romanov. As for the blue line, I'll go back to Karen Harris's uh, article. As for the blue line, Bergevin really is hoping to have Romanov over next season, but he warns that people should not expect the second coming of Eric Carlson. Now, once again, whoever said Eric Carlson? Whoever compared that Romanov kid who's a stay-at-home defenseman with a little bit of offense that likes to hit to Eric Carlson? Who made that comparison? absolutely no one the first time i've ever heard of that comparison in this interview but once again i just want to want you to show what the used car salesman is doing he's throwing the shiny thing out there you know don't expect him to be as good as eric colson you know dude nobody expects him to be that good we just want him to come here and be better than you know Sharat, you know or ben or alsner or kulak or all these guys hey can we have can we get a defenseman that's actually pretty good yeah, we all like Sharat. He gives a lot, but uh, let's be honest. It is what it is. He's going to finish the season with 25 points. Anyways, so that was a Romanov situation. And Bergevin predicts that when Romanov is 24, 25 years old, he'll be playing 24, 25 minutes uh, in the NHL. I hope so, dude. Because if he's not played 24, 25 minutes when he's toward 24, 25 with those kind of expectations, yeah, it's a bust. You freaking ding dong. Anyway, that's another one. Uh, he mentioned uh, Matthias Norlander, another third-round pick that the Canadians had, who's kind of promising young defenseman, but he didn't really show that much in the World Juniors this year. You know, he was so, yeah, whatever. Yeah, and people are going to say, yeah, but those those six, five, six the demon that the Finland had were free and awesome. Uh, all I'm saying is the, the Sweden had were, were awesome. All I'm saying is he wasn't better than those six defensemen that they had. So those young kids that they had are not He's the seventh best def- a Swedish defenseman that they have. So how good is that in relation to the NHL? We're, we have no idea. But as for Nordlander himself, he, Bergevin said that he kind of hopes Nordlander stays in Sweden one more year. There's one more, pass that on one more year. So yeah, we're not going to see that kid until he's like 25, 26, maybe. Jordan Harris is the one kid that they're kind of hoping for because the only reason they're kind of hoping for him is because one, he's willing to come here and play and two, he has a skating ability to play Jordan Harris can, can skate they're saying that he might come play in Laval it's like dude you're, you're, you're playing flurry the whole year here he's like what is this guy talking about 
they, he keeps mentioning these things like there's some sort of strategy out there. Yeah, listen, that guy fits in this category and this guy fits. Dude, it's all desperate category. Whoever's better at training is going to be the guy that's going to play. If Jordan Harris looks good, he's going to be the guy, the guy that's going to play. Unless you, you know, you, as long as uh, Mr. Claude's there, that's what's going to happen. And now the, the ugly part of the, the interview with uh, Mark Bergevin. Bang, bang. Let me just check to see how much time I have left on this. Okay, I got about 10 minutes left. Now the, the reset plan. This part is the part that is kind of scary. Yeah, it's kind of, it says a lot, but uh, in my mind, it's, it's kind of uh, worrisome. The reset plan. He believes that his reset plan would have been better accepted had he been hired in 2018 and had the fans not had him in mind in difficult end of his first quinquentennial plan. I don't know what the word is. Basically, the first part of his uh, tenure here. What he's saying in this little part here, this little confusing part is, guys, the first five years that I'm here, yeah, oubliez ça. That's gone. Forget about that stuff. It doesn't mean anything. What's wrong with you people? What is wrong with... Didn't you... Don't you guys realize I was rehired. I was reborn and rehired as Mark Bergevin 2.0. This Bergie Ben 2.0. That's the new me now. So when you judge me, you have to judge the last two and a half years. And when you... When you... When you think about it, you kind of realize, like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? How big of a clown does he think we all are to kind of believe this nonsense? Forget the five years of my eight-year tenure here. Only the last two years. But dude, the last two years are even worse. So, I don't know what the Canadians are going to do. I have no idea where they're heading. But this is an absolute disaster, folks. With nothing, no silver lining on the, you know, on the horizon. There's nothing. He's, he's telling you right now, Caulfield's not ready for the NHL. We're kind of hoping he stays in uh, college. Norlander's not ready for the NHL. We're kind of hoping he stays in Sweden. Romanov is ready for the NHL, but we have no idea what's going on, if he's coming or not. No clue. Uh, who else? Who else is there? This is your team. He he didn't budge with uh, with trading players that he could have traded this year. And a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, dude, you could trade him next year. You know, yeah, you could trade him next year. Uh, you know, unicorns can fly. Anything, anything is possible, you know. Theoretically, anything is possible. An elephant. You could tie an elephant's tail to a, to a branch and hang that elephant over a cliff. And theoretically, that branch will not break. Anything is possible. But let's be honest. Yeah, we've seen the movie. We've seen the preview. Oh my God, it's a long preview. Yeah, yeah, this is the preview, folks. This is the team. It's just cobble cobblestone management. And... There's a few more parts of the of the interview I don't want to I don't want I don't want to gloss over, which are kind of important. 
And uh, but this reset plan thing and this uh, forget the first five years of my uh, my tenure here doesn't mean anything. It's like, what, dude, dude, what are you talking about? Like, if this guy was Greek, oh my god, dude, he would have been slapped in the face so long ago. Because the the one thing Greeks hate is when somebody thinks that they're stupid, and they're kind of going out of their way to prove to you that, dude, I'm smarter than you. Listen to me. I that Greeks hate that. They'll just they'll literally walk up to the person and just slap him in the face. They won't punch them. They'll slap them. And if that slap leads to something else, then it leads to something else. Boom, ba, boom. Anyways, I'm not uh, advocating for violence here, but I'm saying it's just to the point where it's just, ooh, dude, can we, yeah, can we get back to sanity now? Yeah, just admit the failures and then move on. But we're we're past that point where the failures are part of a plan. You know? A few more things that came up during the <clears throat> during the verge of an interview with Ma, with Matias. Kalchenyak. Bergevin admits in uh, an interview that he was more of a of a fan of from um, uh, the name escapes me now Riley from uh, from the Leafs. Really smooth skating defenseman Morgan Riley, smooth skating defenseman, put up a whole bunch of points last year, took a step back this year, kind of injured, solid top fifteen defenseman in NHL. So Bergevin's kind of throwing that, oh, I was a Morgan Riley kind of fan, but you know, uh, I was new here and uh, can you believe that? I was new here. The GM takes over a team that was literally 28 the year he took over and he's playing the, I was new here thing. Like just, I don't want to take, I don't take responsibility for anything. So he kind of throws that into uh, Timmons' hand. It was all them and they chose Gochenek and yeah, Gochenek looked pretty good early on. So I don't know, something happened there. You know what I mean? So it wasn't that bad of a choice, but something happened along the way. But as uh, as we move forward a few years, and you kind of realize that uh, Mark Bergevin as general manager, and uh, Trevor Timmons as right now he's assistant general manager and something else. I don't know what the hell else that is, but he's still the head scout guy. The one thing people who are paying attention have realized is there's a complete disconnect between those two. Uh, Jeff Molson has created a kind of uh, a structure, a hierarchy within uh, the, the Montreal Canadiens management where the general manager and the head of the scouting department really are not on the same page. Two different pages. One guy does one thing, his thing, do it as well as you can, uh, Trevor. And the other guy does his thing, the, do it as well as you can, Mark. You know, That's how Molson has structured this thing. And it's true, you could see it happening. You could see the English part of the Trevor Timmons thing kind of connecting with uh, the bomb gaining past and uh, the Jeff Molson, I don't want to be you know, surrounded by you know, all the, you know, the French people around here. You could see that happening, definitely happening. And you saw it last year during the draft when there was, the video was on, uh, on the table, on the Canadian's table. And you could see that uh, somebody called offering a trade and Bergevin turned to uh, to Trevor Timmons and he asked him if he should do it. And Trevor said, no, 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 by all means. And Mark Bergevin, now without even hesitation, said, no, no, we can't do it. So you can see that right there that in terms of the draft drafting, completely has nothing to do with the general manager. You know, the guy who was the big picture. That, that's, how, that's how ridiculous this, uh, this situation has gotten. So we had that play out. And we also had the whole Jonathan Joanne thing. Because uh, now that it's been uh, two two years uh, later, and Sergeyev just keeps getting better, 
He's in the high 30s now points, uh, plus 16, plus 17, playing 22, 23 minutes a game. Second best defenseman in Tampa Bay. At 21 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly the thing that we're missing here. Yeah. That left-handed D partner for uh, for Shea Weber. That uh, power point guy to replace Markov. Yeah, that kid. Yeah. To me, one of the most important parts of this interview was that was that they finally they finally admitted it. You know, the the whole PR kind of uh, charade that was being played all these years. No, no, no. We want the French players, but we don't make moves to get the French players. Like, dude, how could you have one without the other? It makes no sense. But they were playing that. They were selling that to people. No, no. One has nothing to do with the other. You know, if the French kid that we're getting is really good and it's important to our team, yeah, of course we're going to get them. Well, this interview made that uh, kind of assumption go out the window. Yeah, it jumped off the bridge, that assumption. Because uh, Mark Bergman admitted it. Yeah, we traded Sergeyev because we felt the the market wanted needed a French superstar. It, he's not mentioning the fact that John Lejuan has never been a superstar in the NHL. Not once did he ever attain superstar status. So I don't know that French superstar thing. He was French, definitely French. He was a superstar the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League when he was 17 years old. Definitely, that's a, no thought about those two things. How they apply to uh, today's world, I have no idea. But he admitted it. They traded Sergachev. The only defenseman the Montreal Canadiens had within within their system that you could even say is a top three guy moving forward. No doubt about it. Top three moving forward. Maybe even number one. Only guy. The only guy that they had in the system. And he admitted it. They traded him for John Lerdoy. His rationale now. His... Uh, his... Uh, his explanation of how this might still benefit the Canadians is a beauty. His explanation is, we still don't know how good Jonathan is going to be. Dude, crystal ball, we don't know. Jonathan Juwin, four years, might score 60. Yeah. We're at that point where the trades that we make, it doesn't matter if the team improves. Uh, you know, making trades to improve your team. You're making trades to fill a particular need, a marketing need. And the worst part of this marketing marketing kind of need that they thought they had with Jonathan and Joanne, they completely screwed the pooch on that. Because Jonathan, knock on wood, I love you to death, guy, and I hope you succeed like nobody else succeeds. But he's not interesting. He doesn't have that personality. You can't sell him. He doesn't want to be that guy. He's a little shy. He's a little intimidated of a lot of things. He's he's not brass and open and loud. It's not him. So you traded for this Quebecois superstar. That really, you know, yeah. He's not that exciting, is he? Yeah. So that's what happened this week in the... Uh, Montreal Canadiens at Melodrama. And uh, I'll be back in, uh, in a few few minutes with uh, some closing thoughts as we wind down another season of uh, Habsland. The disaster that is. I'll be back.
Price might be starting to get worn down a bit with the workload. I'm not even going there. He, he's had a break. I ask questions that make sense. To me, he's had a, a day off between every game, and he doesn't skate in the morning. So he's got nothing. He made some unbelievable saves tonight. So we're going to look at one goal that went through him and say, is he tired? How about the saves he made? Come on, guys. Really. I don't think Carey Price is uh, breaking down, but it sounds like uh, Claude Julien might be unraveling a little bit. I think uh, Claude, uh, he's been around hockey for a long time. And uh, I think he's at the point now where he has no real explanations. He's run out of solutions. That's apparent. So now it's more kind of window dressing, saving face, not pointing fingers, not saying anything that might get us in trouble. But when you do that and you don't have many positive things to point at, you, you look a little silly, a little disingenuous, a little insincere. And that's what Claude came off uh, sounding like in that clip with, uh, with Stu Callen from the Gazette. Stu Callen asked a very important question. This team, uh, second, third week of January, was pretty obvious to everybody. They were going absolutely nowhere. Anybody with a, with a rational mind, a rational hockey mind, could see that. So, starting carry Price, your $10 million goalie, 17 straight games or some ridiculous number like that, while the team was playing 500 over that time, or a little bit below or a little bit above, going absolutely nowhere it was a rational question to ask to the head coach you know you think maybe uh, you know carry playing a little bit too much there might uh, it doesn't look that bad now he's obviously he's an athlete he's a professional athlete he's uh, one of the leaders of the team he wants to play every time the camera points to uh, to carry price when he's uh, he's not playing uh, sitting on the bench there he looks like the saddest guy in the history of uh, sad guys so obviously, you know, he's not going to raise his hand and say, Claude, yeah, yeah, uh, sit me down. So after that, uh, that little uh, unraveling in front of the media that Claude had after the New York Rangers game when the Canadians blew a 2-0 lead and lost 5-2, the game after, Charlie Lindgren was in Nets. What do you know? And... Uh, Claude, uh, what he was saying about what he was talking about Charlie Lindgren starting the game after, he said, oh, you know, sometimes you, you, you have to play the, you know, the, the backup goalie to keep him fresh and to make sure. And it's like, dude, who, who are you fooling? The only reason you're playing Charlie Lindgren is because Stu, Stu Cowan and the rest of the hockey world kind of said, hey, hey, hello, mirror, Canadians. Yeah, you know what the mirror says? What the fuck you doing? Yeah, slow down with uh, the Carey Price guy. Yeah, let him be okay for next year, you know? So that was uh, Claude's uh, first uh, foray into the, the news cycle this week. His second one, uh, the next game, the Canadians had a 3-0 lead uh, to Carolina. Carolina playing with a lot of injured guys back-to-back. 
Looked like they were kind of, you know, men for the taking. They were there just to play. And the Canadians jumped ahead of them. 3-0. Everything looked good until the first goal went in. As soon as it was 3-1, everybody in Habs land was like, Ooh, okay, here we go again. And before you know it, they tied the game 3-3. And thank God Charlie Lindgren was in Nets because uh, literally with about a second left, the Carolina could have won the game in regulation time. Could have been 4-3 Carolina. And we would have been having a different uh, post-game uh, press conference with, uh, with Claude Julien. But the Canadians won it. Uh, their, their number one defenseman, uh, Jeff Petrie. Let's not kid ourselves. He's our number one defenseman. He's not that good of a number one to have on your team. But he's uh, the Canadians have like half and half. A half uh, number one and a half a number one. Take a half of Petrie and take a half of Weber. You got a number one in the NHL in 2020. Canadians are half pieces. They get the half pieces going. So thank God Petrie scored in the overtime. And uh, the Canadians managed not to lose another home game. And the day after that was the the, the interview with uh, with Mark Bergevin. A camera during the game with Carolina. When the Carolina, I think I made it 3-2 or just made it 3-3, I'm not sure. They got Claude kind of behind the bench, all sad and kind of leaning on his little notepad that he holds. And sometimes he writes things in. And the camera happened to catch just enough so somebody could pause the video and take a snapshot of it. And uh, Claude had some scribbly, scribbly, scribbly do on the paper. A bunch of numbers, uh, hieroglyphics, nothing. But he had that one quote, capital letters. Fuck off attitude. So the first, when I first saw that, I went, fuck off attitude. Okay, I, I understand what it means, you know. Sometimes you have to let your, your guys know, listen, dude, no matter what's happening, no matter what the fucking noise is around you, you better have that, you know, fuck you and fuck off kind of attitude to move forward. And it's important. You know, that's, that's when things are getting bad. You all kind of get together as a group and you, you have some sort of, you know, slogan to say. But the thing that kind of was confusing is why would you write it down on a piece of paper? You have to remember it. You have to, you have to remind yourself of what you thought was the thing that you wanted to. I don't get it. And beneath that fuck off attitude, you know, maybe it was towards the press. Maybe it was towards the fans. Maybe it was towards, I don't know, the rest of the team or players on the team or the rest of the league. I don't know. But it was written down on a piece of paper for Claude to, I don't know, mention maybe to Kirk Muller to say to the guys, I don't know. But next to that was uh, the number 43, Jordan Wheel, being mentioned. But he has to play, you know, it was kind of abbreviated, you know, play both ends, you know. And you look at the paper and you're like, what the hell? Why is he writing Jordan Wheel's number down? Like, he's a friend talking, but what are you wasting your time? And then during the game, the thing that caught my eye, and then I, when I remembered the, the little notepad of clothes, was Jordan Wheel had the, the, he had the puck kind of a center ice along the boards. It was him and a couple of canes. And the Carolina guys weren't really chasing him. Nobody was chasing him. So it was kind of like a slow play. They were kind of expecting him to toss the puck into the corner and go for a line change. So 
all three guys were kind of waiting for a wheel to do something, but nobody was doing anything. So it was like a slow little procession heading towards, you know, the corner of the Kane's uh, zone there. And about halfway before getting to the to the corner, Jordan Wheel just kind of, you know, feathered a little pass to the corner of the net of the the ring, just like maybe ten feet ahead of him, really soft. The only guy there was the defenseman of Carolina. It was like. And then, so you're kind of expecting, okay, maybe he tossed the puck there so he could go for a line change, a quick line change. But no, he just tossed the puck to the defender. And when the defender started, you know, possessing the puck, Jordan Wheel kind of backed off like he was trailing him, like, you know, in front of the net, you know, okay, what are you going to do now? Well, as I was watching the game live, I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? I've never seen that before. It was like, you know... It's like, it's something you might do in practice. You know, okay, you guys have the puck. Okay, now you take the puck and I'm going to defend, okay? Like, uh, one of those basketball handoffs. Nah, nah, it's your ball. You take it out of bounds, okay? No, no, you got it, no, you got it out of bounds. It was like, one, and then you look at the notepad and you connect the 43 with Jordan Wheel. And then you kind of realize, okay, Jordan Wheel probably got an earful of, you know, don't forget, play defense there, Jordan. And Jordan's probably thinking, yeah, but I thought you guys picked me up for the power play. Jordan... Two-way hockey. We signed you for a two-year contract, dude. You got to make uh, Mark look good. I mean, we're playing you over freaking Cook in the Emmy. We're playing you over Paling for some fucking reason that I'm still not aware of. But we're playing you. You're here. So play. So with Jordan Wheel probably in his own head, he's got so many freaking things going on. He probably, you know, kind of got caught in between going for a line change and doing the right thing. And he just did absolutely nothing. So that was the Chloe Julian... Uh, um, what, am I, what word I'm looking for? His uh, participation in the the Habsland drama of the week. It seems like everything is kind of uh, coming apart. You know what I mean? Like uh, last last episode, I was talking about uh, maybe the curtain has been risen and people are seeing behind the curtain a little bit. Now it's like uh, there's no curtain. <laughs> What curtain you talking about? The curtain's wide open now. They're, they're saying it out loud. Yeah, yeah we're training guys because they're French. Yeah, the, the, the coach has no idea what the hell is going on because, you know, he's run out of excuses. He's like, you know, all right, it is what it is. So we're at that point now in um, the, the 2019-2020 NHL season. We're at the point of ridiculousness. The scary part is we're at the point where we kind of realize that this this year's team, you know, they might be a trade in the offseason, but whatever trade Bergevin makes, he's going to take one piece that he needs and put another piece that he might need, but he'll need the piece that he got rid of. So it's going to be the whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? They're thinking of signing Domi to a five, six-year contract extension. They're thinking of uh, signing uh, Kovalchuk. I remember him. Remember that story? Yeah. That legend, that two-month legend. The two-month uh, Montreal Canadiens legend. Yeah. Kovalchuk, remember that guy? He's thinking about re-signing that guy. You know? So you could be literally the exact same hockey team. But, but things will be better because you never know. It's an organization. I, I hope that most people have realized now, and I'm not saying this with any gleefulness or any any pride that I've been right all along or some ridiculous kind of patting on the back thing. 
I hope everybody's kind of realized this organization has no interest in winning. They don't care. It's insignificant. It's secondary. If it happens, great. As long as a whole bunch of other things are in play, and those other things are are, are the the what's it called the the obstacle that are keeping the, the Montreal Canadiens from uh, from really attaining anything because they can't make a plan towards the future. You have, a, you have an owner that's scared to death of uh, putting a, a not very good team on the ice. Dude, we've already passed that point. It's three years in a row of complete failure. You've already passed the point of not putting a good team on the on the ice. What's the difference between a team that finishes the season with 84 points and a team that finishes the season with 64 points? It's the same kind of team. It's going to be the same kind of losing and, you know... And a few kind of positive steps forward and positive. See, it's going to be the exact same thing, but slightly different. Instead of realizing that and, and making that bold for next step. And in my opinion, it wasn't even bold. It was kind of obvious. It was kind of right in front of their face. It's like, dude, in two, three years, you could have a really good team. A young team, a really young team. Speaking of young team, uh, I just want to throw that out. That uh, the Canadians right now have the oldest uh, defensive uh, top six in the NHL. Average age, uh, the median age is 30. Yeah. So that youth development thing is kind of that you the whole youth development for the Canadians is just hope and prayer. It's a hope in uh, hope in Russia, hope in Sweden, hope in Finland, uh hope in the US college. Just hopes. How good would these guys be? Will these four guys actually be NHL defensemen? Who who knows? Nobody knows. How long will it be? Nobody knows. Maybe two years, three years before we see them. Even see them? So it's like the, the next two, three years is, what is it exactly? It's this, whatever you're seeing this year, this is what it is. So knock on wood, everybody stays healthy. And uh, a few guys have uh, career years along the way. And that's a team. There's no real, I mean, they have a whole bunch of draft picks this year. It's, it's almost, it's almost in, in, inconceivable to imagine that somebody would let somebody like Trevor Timmons and this management team handle that many draft picks in an important draft year it's almost inconceivable but then you realize yeah there's no structure in this organization they're all just doing whatever the hell they're they've been told to do timmons is trying to uh, you know save face he's kind of realized now that oh boy it's not it's not a question of you know the french people don't like timmons because he's english i'm sure he probably felt that for a long time absolute nonsense but i'm sure he felt that so it's not only that that he's worrying about now that the French media is going to be on his case the whole freaking hockey world is on your case dude yeah there's nothing to hide behind anymore you can't say well uh, uh, drafted Sergeyev Sergeyev was number 9 overall a monkey could have fucking drafted Sergeyev the quality of 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 a scout is deeper way deeper than that you know, those guys that are past everybody's top 15 uh, list. Because today, I had to break it to uh, the hockey fans. Today, if you if you have the uh, the internet, you could literally write a program. You, you could input into that program what picks your team has. And that program is going to pick the best players available. You could input any kind of data you want. You could tell that we're looking for a... A left-handed D who can skate a little. Any kind of information you could put into that program. And that program will go live, 
during the draft as it's happening. As one guy gets drafted, he'll keep changing the algorithm and keep changing the program. And he'll give you, at the end of the day, probably a better list of draft picks than, Martin, than Jeff Molson is paying millions of dollars for every year. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even exaggerating. I was talking with a, with a young guy on, on YouTube who makes uh, prospects videos. Terrific stuff. It's called Draft Dynasty, if you want to look it up. Terrific videos. And I can guarantee you without a shadow of a doubt in what I'm saying, that there is nobody within the Montreal Canadiens Department of Scouting that knows more about hockey than this guy does. And he's probably in his early 20s. Without a shadow of a doubt. So this whole, oh my God, what is it? so hard to find things? It's not that complicated, people. It's just a question of willingness. You know, do you want to make those changes? Do you want to take winning seriously? You could say you take it seriously. You could you could have some ding dongs on the radio, you know, giving Molson a pat on the back and telling everybody, yeah, yeah, he really wants to win, man. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Uh, he really wants to win. I gotta mention names, but they know who they are. The same clowns, literally, they, they give opinions based on no information. They have no data to support their information, their opinion, but they're just throwing it out there. Yeah, Jeff Molson has no interest in winning. The only thing he wants to win is the don't freaking hate me French people thing. That's it. And I think season, that whole thing is shifting a little bit. Everything's unraveling. It's falling apart. The diehards are not interested in watching this crap. Uh, the kind of people who are kind of a little bit hanging on to the Mark Bergevin still a good GM thing. Yeah, those people have let go. Yeah, they're, they're sliding down the building. Yeah, they're, they're back on solid ground again. And even, to be honest, last, last week, the last two weeks, even the French media is starting to turn on Mr. Mark Bergevin. And they might not only be starting to turn on Mark Bergevin, they might be starting to turn on the whole kind of cultural experiment thing. Where the Montreal Canadiens have to, let's be honest here, they're kind of a, a job development program for a certain element of the Quebecois population. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to do it at the top of the, the food chain. You could do it from, from the bottom up. But you don't have to do it at the top top. Unless the best guys available happen to be French. Then obviously we're all shaking our hands and clapping. Yay! Congratulations. You found the, the one guy that fits. So I think all that is kind of playing out this year. Now obviously here in Montreal. And because it's hockey. You know, it's not a war. It's just hockey. As soon as the season is over. We're all going to go back to living our lives. And having barbecues. And enjoying the, the two and a half weeks of good weather that we have, you know. So that will give the Canadians time to breathe, the, the management time, okay, nobody's bothering us, nobody's looking at us, you know. And maybe within that little bit of time, they might come to some sort of conclusion. They might, maybe within that part of time, Jeff might, might actually open the door and start realizing, okay, uh, I can't pretend anymore, you know. It's gotten past the point of pretending. We have a general manager now that, that pretends the first five years of his uh, of his tenure here doesn't exist. It, forget it, doesn't exist. It's not part of anything. It's the last three years. Like, who, who, where, what kind of world do these people live in? What kind of job is this? Could you imagine a job where you just, you know, yeah, I work at the bank, 
listen, I took over a pretty good bank. It was having a bad year that year that it took over, but all signs were that it was pretty good before that and going to be good later on. And then we were good for a few years after that because, you know, and then I started picking at things because I then and then it's been a failure ever since. But I'm still here. I'm going to do the second part, the 2.0 of the bank thing. Okay. No other freaking professional would ever, would ever allow this to happen. None, none. No other city, no other sports organization would, would allow this to happen with the exception of Montreal at this time. I was watching um, a few YouTube videos last couple of days, old time Montreal Canadiens games. I was watching... Uh, some Gil Fleur clips. Man, I miss watching that guy play. It's it's kind of sad that the young generation, the ones that didn't really watch him play, they think that all he did was like skate down the wing and shoot the puck. And they had no freaking idea what this guy meant to this team, to the city. How he changed games completely. Not with just one shot from the thing. The guy was just ridiculous. I was watching the, the famous uh, Don Cherry, uh, Too Many Men on the Ice game. That 1979 game, and where uh, Lafleur tied it up about a minute left. And I was watching the whole game. There's a there's a YouTube video of it. It was just incredible hockey to watch. How tough it was back then, you know. And the Canadians were down three one in that game, heading into the third period. And that third period was all Lafleur. Everything he just took it on his freaking shoulders. And the, the beautiful thing to watch when, as that was happening in the third period, you saw the Scott, Scotty Bowman kind of realize what was happening, and he was on the ice all the time. All that four line, rolling the four lines nonsense. In that game, the Canadians scored three goals in the, the third period. Boston had a 3-1 lead. The Habs tied it at 3-3. Boston took a, a, late, uh, a late lead with about a minute and a half left, or two minutes left, I don't remember exactly. Rick Middleton around the, uh, behind the net kind of wrap around joining completely blue and that led to that too many men on the ice penalty and that led to that that goal where, you know it was pretty much all of her he took the puck behind his net went up the up the the, the, the right wing quickly saw that the Lemire was kind of hanging around the blue line fed them pass kept skating and as soon as Lemire took three skate three steps into the blue zone the blue line and then dropped the puck off Lafleur just skated into the shot perfect shot right in the corner so it was and then i watched uh, the friday night massacre the video between the quebec and the uh, and the habs that year i remember what year it was with 84 what year was that i don't remember to be honest i think it was 84 and my god the freaking action there but it, it kind of brought something to light that without that competition in the city without that provincial competition our owner is uh, not really challenged all that much, you know? It's a captive market. All the hockey money goes here. I know people on Twitter who have sent me messages, private messages, telling me that they tried to do something, like uh, set up uh, one of those giant, giant billboards on the street, you know, on the highway as you're driving, with some sort of, you know, negative message towards this, this management, this, uh, this organization, you know, like, I don't remember what the wording was. But they told me that the, the the company that makes those signs, they refuse to do anything that's kind of anti-connect uh, Montreal Canadiens, because it's it's a one one team market, and they don't want to ruin that business thing. They don't want to cause that friction. 
So we're we're stuck in that that kind of monopoly of the you know of the the finances of the city with one little organization. Well, I don't mean the finances entirely, but within that you know that sports marketing little entertainment you know market. It's a lot of money, but a lot of people can't say things. But I have a feeling that these last couple of weeks and this year playing out exactly the way it's playing out. And everybody kind of realizing that Mark Bergman has no idea what's going on. He has no idea. There's no plan. Plan, plan, plan. What plan? If your plan is to finish, you know, uh, bottom ten, bottom fifteen every year, and draft a kid that might come back, might be on your team in two, three years. If that's your plan, that's the worst plan in the history of existence. And it's not a plan. It's literally a team that has nothing, nothing else to say. So they're just playing it out. They're just participating. The Montreal Canadiens are just participating in the NHL. No different than the Florida Panthers, than the Columbus Blue Jackets, or you know, I was gonna say the Washington Capitals, but uh, we're not that anymore. Man, when I was a kid, the Washington Capitals were the worst team in the history of hockey, and now they're they're a serious franchise, you know, who's only interested in winning. They're not interested in anything else but winning. Montreal Canadiens used to be that kind of team, only interested in winning. Now they're only interested in a whole bunch of things that have nothing to do with winning hockey games in the NHL in 2020. So, with that uh, rant over, I'm gonna play you guys out with um, some calming tunes, a little, um, a little Tom Waits, a little um, time. See you guys next week, or maybe sooner. Have a good one. But the smart money's on Harlem, and the moon is in the street, and the shadow boys are breaking all the laws. And you're east of East St. Louis, and the wind is making speeches. Sounds like a round of applause And Napoleon is weeping In the carnival saloon His invisible fiancé's in the mirror And the band is going home It's raining hammers, it's raining nails It's true there's nothing left for him down here And it's time, time It's time, time, time And it's time, time, time that you love And it's time, time, time And they all pretend they're orphans And their memories like a train You can see it getting smaller as it pulls away And the things you can't remember Tell the things you can't forget The history puts a saint in every dream Well, she said she'd stick around Until the bandages came off But these mama's boys just don't know when to quit And Matilda asked the sailors All those dreams or all those prayers So close your eyes, son 
It's time. 